0: Hello, I'm Kenny White. Thank you. It's great to see you all. Kevin, Mike, Cheryl, Nancy. I, I can't really see your names from here. Uh, I was just trying to be witty and I it failed. Um, hey, seriously, one of the practices that I have is before I come to PL, I always watch Matt's sermon before I come recognizing that he messes with me. And so we do have some similar slides this week that he stole from me, but that's okay. It's fine. Uh, no, we're excited about this series. It's an amazing series. I hope your heart is encouraged. Uh, I hope it challenges you. Uh, I I hope that uh, it inspires you, and I hope it calibrates you to God's word. One of the, uh, well, I'm going to lead with this. Okay, so here's the deal. I'm about to tell you about a podcast that I am not endorsing. I'm telling you this ahead of time because almost always, whenever I refer to a movie or a podcast, I get an email where someone says, I can't believe, do you know this about that person? Okay, I'm not endorsing this. Okay, just so don't email me about it. Um, God bless you. I love you. Okay. The Joe Rogan Experience is a popular podcast, has a variety of things on his podcast, I'm to- told, from uh, alien conspiracies. Matt says it's not a con- conspiracy if it's true. Oh. Yes, you can do it with it whatever. Uh, to political matters. And so, Joe Rogan addresses that Uh, about 11 or 12 days ago, he interviewed a guy named Matt Walsh. Matt Walsh is a commentator and author. You may be aware of him. Uh, He became popular from a documentary that he did entitled, What is a Woman? And he went around to different cultures. They asked the question. He got a variety of feedback. It It shocked people. I'll just leave it at that. We'll talk about it in a little bit. But Joe Rogan asked this powerful question. And here's the question. Why would God make people gay if it's immoral? That's a good question. It wasn't heated. It was a a great conversation that he and Matt Walsh were having. Matt Walsh pushed back a little bit on, okay, is it nature or nurture, that sort of thing. But he landed with this statement. We all have a proclivity towards sin. It just happens that some are gay, but we all have a proclivity towards sin. That's where he landed that plane. And, And I just felt like, yeah, that's true, but we didn't quite go far enough. Here's what I mean. Joe Rogan's question of why would God make people gay if it's immoral needs pushback. Here's the pushback. Whether it is nature or nurture, I'm not sure. What I do know is that God made people sexual. That is clear biologically that we are sexual creatures, that we procreate. That is a truth that we have to embrace. And God, as the creator, made us that way. We'll dig into that in just a little bit. Christopher Yoon And Jackie Hill Perry deal with this from a a unique perspective as Christians who formerly practiced homosexuality. Dr. Yoon, he takes it and he says, we've been stuck in the church in a dichotomy that we need to break out of. We have said things like this. We've categorized rather this way, homosexuality and heterosexuality. And we've thought and discussed in these terms, and we need to stop that. Because God created us sexual creatures, we need to think in terms of holy sexuality. In other words, that God created us as sexual creatures, and he is calling us to be holy with our sexuality. Therefore, we are not just looking at things and saying, oh, well, that's, that's a a uh, heterosexual trait or that is a homosexual uh, trait. Nope, the, what we're talking about is a sexual expression that is holy or not. That's, that's how we should deal with it. I like the framework of that because it changes everything, doesn't it? Obviously, in, in the church, we, we would discuss uh, that God's plan is not for a married couple to be of same sex. Sometimes we neglect that heterosexuality can also be out of bounds. Matters of pornography, of incest, those are issues that exist outside of God's plan for holy sexuality. And we have to talk in those terms and identify things in those terms. In fact, I would say that within the church, we need to recognize that sexuality must be expressed safely and in a holy way. And that's where the institution of marriage comes in. I'm going to push pause on that discussion to take us in a little bit different direction to give us some framework. Here's the part that Matt stole from me. I want you to imagine that you're in your living room. You've heard this? In your living room, you realize the atmosphere isn't quite right. The ambiance needs to change. Also, it's a little chilly in your living room, and you're a miser like me, and you don't want to take the thermostat and go up past 60. So I'm kidding. It's 55. And so you decide you want to start a fire there in your living room, but no problem because you have a fireplace. If you don't have a fireplace, pretend you do. And you start this fire, and it's blazing. Like, it is the best fire you've ever started. And it is is creating ambiance and atmosphere and warmth, and life is just flowing in that room. You love it. Now, I want to give you another scenario. In the same scenario, it's so ridiculous. I know this wouldn't be true of any of you, but it's so ridiculous. Uh, I want to share it anyways. And that is you're sitting on the couch across from the fireplace. The ambiance needs to change. The atmosphere needs to change. It's still cold in there. And you go, I need a fire. I do need a fire. But I don't want to go all the way over there. Besides that, it takes forever for that heat to radiate all the way to me over here on the couch. I'll start a fire right here. And so on the floor in front of you, you begin a fire and it's blazing and it gets out of control and the house burns down. Why? Because a fire inside is intended to go in a fireplace. That is a safe place for it to happen. This holy sexuality is placed in a fireplace called marriage, biblical marriage. And this biblical marriage is the place that some wonderful, beautiful things can happen. The ambiance changes, the atmosphere changes, the warmth changes, life flows from that place. And that's what we're going to dig into. But before we do that, I want to highlight four myths. These four myths are what we're going to walk through together today. These four myths are myths that have been perpetuated throughout our culture and I want to say at least to some degree have been embraced within our churches. And so it's important for us to identify them. I'm not saying these are the only myths to biblical marriage, but these are four myths that are worth highlighting and pretty high value for us to address. Here's the first myth of a biblical marriage that marriage is between one man and one woman. Already some of you are going, what are you saying? You have to wait. Hang on. <laughs> two, two. Marriage is about me being happy. Or it's about you being happy. Myth three, buckle up. I'm just gonna tell you guys this before I go to this next one. I, I shared this myth one time and somebody commented who happened to be a guy. You'll see why that's a bad thing in just a moment. And he got slapped, rightfully so, in the service. This is what happened. Hang in there. Uh, Marriage is about a wife submitting. Don't you say a word. (laughs) We're going to talk about this myth. And the fourth myth, marriage is for everyone. Marriage is for everyone. So, friends, before we dig into this, I'm going to ask three things of you not in a rhetorical way, in a way I'm going to ask you to verbalize back to me if you agree. I'm going to ask you to embrace three things today. Here's the first one. Would you be willing to acknowledge that God is at work in you and around you and even in the institution of marriage. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. So, would you be willing to acknowledge that God is at work around you, in you, and through you? It was really pathetic. (laughs) Let's try that again. Would you be willing to acknowledge that God is at work in you, around you, and through you? Much better, much better. Okay, second one. Whoop. Second, would you be willing to trust God? Let me read the passage. Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, that God is at work around us and that we can trust that his plans are better than our plans. Friends, would you be willing to trust God? Okay, this is the hard one. This is the hard one. Jesus says this in John 14, 15. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Would you be willing, despite what you feel, despite what you've heard around you, despite what myth perhaps has influenced you, would you be willing to obey God and his word even today? One more time. I'll feel better if we do it one more time. Would you be willing to obey God? Yes. Yes. Okay, that's more better. Well, with that in mind, I'm going to need to pray for you. I'm going to ask you to pause and pray for me, because if you're thinking, oh, I'm a little nervous at this topic, you should be me. Uh, (laughs) It's a little tricky. I'd appreciate your prayers. I'm going to pray for you, and we're going to jump in the Word of God together today. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and praise you and ask that you would be exalted and lifted up. We pray, oh Lord, for your strength, for your courage, not just to hear these words, but to live these words out. We want to acknowledge that you are at work around us and in us and through us. We trust you, Lord, that your plan is the best plan. And Lord, we want to obey you. And sometimes it's really hard. So would you give us strength to do that? I pray right now, Lord, that, again, you would you would shut me up and that you would speak through me, maybe even in spite of me today. We need your words, not my words, not my thoughts, but your thoughts, oh, Lord. So we lean into you now as we walk through some myths that, Lord, we have embraced, that we have accepted, and... Uh, Lord, we we want to walk humbly before you, and we want to put this holy sexuality within the boundaries that you have given us, embracing biblical marriage in a way that honors you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's jump right in. Let's talk about that first myth. If you remember, that's the one that three of you in this room went, (gasps) when we said, Marriage is between one man and one woman. So let's talk about it. Marriage is between one man and one woman. By the way, we're going to be in a few places uh, throughout the scriptures. Some of them will be up on the screen. Some, Some of them will not be. So if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to get those out and get ready. We'll look at Genesis 1 and 2 in just a moment. We're going to jump down to verse 27 in just a moment. But I want to start with this. God is the owner and designer of marriage. Within the garden, God institutes marriage as a holy institution. Separated for him and by him. And because he is the author, and because he is still alive, and because he is still present, he is the only one who can change what marriage is. I have an uncle His name is Jim. Love my Uncle Jim. Uh, We come from different places in terms of everything, uh, pretty much. (laughs) I love my Uncle Jim, and I think he loves me. And um, recently, well, recently, that has been, I don't know, seven or eight years ago now, whenever the matter of same-sex marriage came up, Uh, culturally, it was before it was accepted by the Supreme Court. Well, anyways, we're having this discussion, and I said this to my Uncle Jim. Uncle Jim, would you agree with me that the government should not come in and redefine terms that are religious terms? He said, absolutely, I agree with that. I think the government should keep their hands out of religion. He had more opinions about religion, but it's not necessary right now. And then I said, okay, so if you agree with me on that, would you also agree that though as a Christian who is a citizen and I can vote or I could even run for office, even though that is true, as an organization, a church can't redefine terms that are the government's. In other words, I can't hold a a church meeting and say, uh, really what you mean by this boundary Uh, Minnesota actually goes all the way to Madison, Wisconsin. I I can't change that. Uh, uh, Our church can't change that law, right? Like we can't redefine what the law has given us because that's not our place. And he goes, absolutely. I believe in the separation of church and state. And I said, well, that's great. Uh, Another question for you, Uncle Jim, where, who came up with marriage? And he said, well, Uh, The government did because the the government is the one who gives a license. uh, So they acknowledge that you're married. And I said, wait wait, wait a minute. Uh, So if that were true, then marriage would have started with the United States. But we know that marriage predates the United States. And he goes, I guess that's true. And I said, let me make a suggestion that within the Christian scriptures, uh, the the Bible and the Old Testament, uh, we see affirmed throughout, but starting in Genesis, that God is the institutor of marriage. Therefore, He's the definer. Therefore, the issue of marriage is uniquely religious. Therefore, the government doesn't get to change definitions. And he said, yeah. "I think we do agree." It broke his heart, <laughs> but he agreed. And Here's, here's where I'm going with this. The government can make some decisions that are uh, tax, uh, uh, tax-based. They, they can make those sorts of decisions, but we have to look at the scriptures on definitions, especially definitions that are uniquely biblical. Marriage is one of them, and God owns it. He establishes it in Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 27 and 28, where he identifies that his image is uniquely placed on people and that these families have a purpose. Watch this. Uh, Verse 27, Genesis chapter 1, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Let me pause there for just a second. Uh, Let's not miss that. Who creates? God. God creates. So it's God's plan? Yeah, it's God's plan. What is God's plan? That he creates them male and female. Oh, two genders. Interesting. He creates them male and he creates them female. Why does he do this? He does this for the sake uh, of his image. That the male image and the female image uniquely, creatively reflect his image, and that God created him that way. As God is identifying this institution of marriage, it's going to become very clear that this one male and this one female come together in the institution of marriage, that God didn't make a mistake when he made you male, and God didn't make a mistake when he made you female, that these are ordained genders that he has given you from birth, period. That's it. We're going to see where this comes from and why it comes from that place. That God has a plan in verse 28. He goes on to say, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. I have seven kids. I took that personally. I engaged in, in okay. <laughs> Fill the earth, subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, over every living thing that moves on the earth. God wants people to be stewards of creation, his creation. That's what God wants. And so God makes them male and God makes them female and brings them together in this institution of biblical marriage. And in this institution of biblical marriage, he gives them purpose And unites them with himself. Marriage is not about just uh, one man and one woman. Marriage is about one man, one woman, and one God. Even clarified more in Ephesians chapter 5. If you have your Bibles, please turn there in Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is talking to the Ephesians about this wonderful institution of marriage. And he says this, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What does? Marriage. What am I saying? I'm saying that this holy institution of biblical marriage exists in part to show us a reflection of Christ and a reflection of the church. How sacrificially this husband will love this, his bride. And this bride will sacrificially love her husband and follow him. And, and that this is this beautiful picture that the world looks on and goes, that's not natural. That is supernatural. Like there is no way that someone loves sacrificially uh, another person like that. There is no way that someone naturally follows and loves her husband like that. It's, that must be supernatural. Tell me more. And this is a picture of that. This marriage is a picture of that. Uh, some people will say, well, well, well wait a minute. What, what else do you have there? Well, in Genesis chapter two, for example. In Genesis chapter two, starting in, uh, in verse 22, or I'm sorry, uh, let me go to a different place. Uh, verse 24, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is chapter 2. This is still in the garden. This is in the presence of God. What do we see? Not just that these two people aren't wearing clothes and it doesn't bother them. That's, that's not just the picture here. There's more than that. Uh, It's that they can be completely vulnerable towards each other and not be ashamed. Not just towards each other, but also towards God. There is nothing to be ashamed about. Lord, you can see everything about me physically, emotionally, spiritually, sexually. Everything is holy and dedicated to you in this institution where one man and one woman come together in God and follow him. And the closer they get to God, the closer they get to one another as is exemplified in that picture. So... I hear this often. Well, okay, that's in the Old Testament, but Jesus never really said anything about marriage. Anybody ever heard that? Jesus never really said anything about marriage, uh, one way or the other. The problem with that is it's not true. So uh, let's address that. Uh, first of all, we see that Jesus lives in a culture that is a very religious culture. It could have been that Jesus just goes back and goes, okay, well, we're, we're just going to affirm uh, uh, our, our religious beliefs and what we've already understood. He could have done that. He could have also said, but we are under the authority of Rome. And Rome, they have a lot of different ways. Now, we don't want to be all judgy. Uh, in fact, let's embrace some diversity in the sexuality in Rome, there were, a lot of, there were a lot of pretty vile things that were going on from temple prostitution, uh, lots of things. I won't get into all of that. You can look it up. Don't look it up, actually. <laughs> oh, what am I saying? Uh, be careful when you look it up. So Jesus could have said anything. He could have said, you know, you have heard that it is said Uh, That a a man will leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. But I say to you, have seven or eight people you cling to. Uh, He could have said, it doesn't really matter male or female. He could have done any of that because in the broader umbrella, that's what was happening in the world around him. But he doesn't do that. In Matthew chapter 19, we'll look at verse 4 and 5. Jesus affirms. What happened in the garden when he says, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, affirming what was true in the very beginning? And said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Jesus affirms what we already know is true. Myth one, marriage is not about One man and one woman, but marriage is about one man, one woman, and one God that come together in biblical marriage. I want to tell you something, and I've I've been a little shy about even even mentioning this, um, but but I need to. I've, I've kind of been in this pendulum swing where I've seen and heard a lot of different things, like pastors go, as a pastor, I want the opportunity to speak into someone's life. And so if someone comes to me and they're willing to hear what I have to say, I will tell them the truth. I will, I will speak biblically, but I will marry them no matter what. I've heard that. Um, that maybe is dangerous ground for a variety of reasons. I, I want to tell you that as a, a pastor, I have this ordination that has been given to me that I am an ordained minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only authority that I have. That's, that's what I carry with me. The gospel, a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Outside of that, I can't do it. And so when we look at marriage, marriage is the only place where sexuality can be holy and set apart for God. But there has to be some boundaries set there, some clear boundaries. And so when we're talking about marriage, We need to be talking about, there is this guy who's saying, I want to reflect Christ. I want to love God so deeply, so passionately, so closely that I reflect him. And when I don't, I want to apologize. I want to repent of my sins and I want to follow the Lord. And I want to love this woman like Christ loves the church. And for this woman to say, this institution of marriage only makes sense in that I want to be holy. I want my sexuality to be holy. I want to love God and honor God. And so I want to enter into biblical marriage. And so I want to love the Lord and I want to love my husband and I'm going to follow him. And outside of those boundaries where two are focused on Christ, they're like, I I don't have the authority to do this marriage. Go to a justice of the peace. Not because I don't love you. I do love you, but I don't have the authority to do a marriage that is anything except for that. There are some who will disagree with me, and that's fine. They can. But this issue of marriage is a big deal. And one of the reasons... One of the reasons that this is a problem culturally is because we have swayed away from it. And we just said, well, a man and a woman got married and that's great. But it wasn't great. There were problems because that man and that woman never loved the Lord. That man and that woman never saw their marriage as a reflection of this holy mystery. That man and that woman never decided to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and they were never in that fireplace the way it was supposed to be. And so many times, that house has burned down because of it, and we ordained it, and we should. Just to let you know how I feel. And it brings us to the next point. Marriage is about me being happy. You ever heard that one? Oh, I'm going to get married and I'm going to be so happy. Uh, Have you ever been married before? I I sounded meaner than I meant it to be. Uh, It really did. And I apologize. But let's be honest. Like, marriage is so sacrificial. Like, it hurts. If the goal were to be happy, the other person ought to be in on it too. Right? Like, hey, we're getting married so that I can be happy, Uh, do better, right? Like that should have been the plan, but it's not that. And if the goal is for the other person, yeah, you're going to make me happy or else. I don't know what else is. Or else. uh, That's a problem. People have said it this way. Marriage is actually not about me being happy, so marry wisely. Because you will not experience just a little bit of hell if you don't. What do I mean by that? Well, I, I can give you some illustrations. So I will. Here we go. It happens often. She comes into my office and she says, oh, pastor. He seemed to give me so much attention in the beginning. He cared about me. and He, he didn't really have an interest in God, but he didn't care that I did. Uh, until we got married and then I went to church and we went to Wednesday night and I I tried to do devotions with my kids and he he would go in the other room and, and now I don't even know if he likes me. That's sad. But he was showing you that from the very beginning. Somehow you thought that this marriage would make your situation better, would make you happy. Marriage is not about being happy. And you say, well, what about the guy? Glad you brought it up. Because we see this with guys too. Oh man. Yeah, she never, she never really uh, was interested in things of God. She's so hot. I, can't, I couldn't do anything more beautiful than her. Like, she is as beautiful as it comes, and I couldn't do better in terms of looks, despite the fact that she has the spirit of a pterodactyl. <laughs> like, dude, uh, that was happening in the beginning. Marriage isn't about you being happy, so marry wisely. Someone said, oh, this is bad. Uh, But they said, they, whoever they are, I have maybe just made it up. Um, Marriage is a little bit like having a pit bull and a mountain lion and putting them in a potato sack and spinning them around and throwing them over your shoulder for like 50 years. Heather, they're going to kill each other they're going to learn to live out, live together. And I want to suggest there is a better way. And that biblical marriage is not about, uh, our happiness, though. I think we can be happy in a biblical marriage. And it's not just about our situation. Like our marriage isn't going to make things better. Uh, 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 um, one of my mentors just before I got married, he'd been married for like 200 years. So I thought he knows something. Uh, what should I do to prepare for marriage? He said this, get healthy. Get healthy spiritually, physically, emotionally, and make sure she's healthy too. Because you get two sick people together and you don't get better. You need to get healthy. If, if I were going to share that advice, I'd frame it a little bit differently today. I, I'd say it this way. Live a life that is holy. Holy. How does that start? That starts by surrendering to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Asking him in your life as your savior. Of surrendering to him day by day, moment by moment. Of doing what we did earlier when I said, if God calls you to obey him, will you obey him? Yes, I'll obey. That we obey him. That holiness is not something that we earn. It is something that is given to us by the work of Jesus Christ. And because that because Jesus has has imputed that holiness onto us, we now have the Spirit indwelling us to live it out day by day, moment by moment. Get healthy. Be holy. So marriage doesn't fix my situation if you're worried about feelings. Also, I hear this as well, and I want to address it. It maybe could have fallen in a different place in the sermon, but it made sense in my head, so I stuck it here. And this is what it is. I I can honor God without the law. In other words, I don't need a marriage license to honor God in marriage. Except you do. Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And here's the kicker. And those who resist will incur judgment. If the government said, you can get married, but to get married, you need to worship the president of the United States, that would be wrong. And we should absolutely rebel against that. They are not, however, doing that. They are saying, we want you to register. Now, that's inconvenient. Yep. Also, we'll give you a tax break. Oh, that's what they're telling us. They're not asking us to not obey the scriptures. What am I saying? I'm saying that some people use this spiritual talk to get out of doing the right things. And if they're willing to do that in the beginning, they'll do that their whole marriage. And they'll shortcut everything. If we're going to have a biblical marriage and this fireplace that God has given us for holy sexuality, then it's going to require us to, at times, do the hard things no matter what we feel. Sometimes it's just a matter of doing the right things. So, I'm already leaning into it. We'll go to the next idea in this. Marriage is not about making us happy. Well, what is it? Well, let's get to the facts. Marriage is about making us holy. 1 Peter 1, 14-16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Even marriage is given to us for the sake of holiness. You maybe have heard this, that someone will say a comment like this, oh, she, she grades on me. She says this. She does this. Whatever this is, whatever, whatever it is. A friend of mine who's a counselor, he uses those for teachable moments, and he says things like this in those situations. Would you say that she's like sandpaper to you? Yeah, actually, that's a very good term. That's exactly what it feels like, sandpaper. And he goes, good, because you're a rough piece of lumber, and you need smoothed out. (laughs) Lesson learned. Why? Because marriage is about holiness. And sometimes God uses the other person in our life to smooth us out. To make us more usable for him. God wants us to be holy. And in marriage, immediately as we start to care for the other person, we realize that we're going to have to sacrificially give. That means we're going to give up things that we want, that we like, that we prefer. For the sake of the other person. Uh, also within this institution of marriage, we have to recognize that God has a plan. Early on, we saw that plan in Genesis chapter 1, right? Be fruitful and multiply. In other words, kids are supposed to happen within this institution of marriage, this fireplace where holy sexuality is placed in. Children are supposed to happen. And So that they can then come in, at least in terms of Genesis, they can come in and be good stewards of the creation that God has given. Jesus uses it a little bit differently in the New Testament. Uh, uh, He kind of takes it and adds on to it by saying this, go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. We're supposed to bring up these children in such a way that they have purpose. And that purpose is being stewards of that which God has given us, the very gospel itself. So children are a part of that. So well, what, what does that mean? I'm glad you asked. It means, as Psalm 127 says it, Children are a heritage from the Lord. They are a blessing, not a curse. In other words, that in the framework that God has given us for a biblical marriage, children are supposed to uh, um, be born. It's a place for them to exist with a father and a mother growing in purpose to make disciples of all nations. Of stewarding that creation that God has given us, that children are a blessing that life is perpetuated, which means that we think God is the ordainer of life. And if God is the ordainer of life, then we need to let life live. What am I saying? I'm saying that abortion has never been embraced by the church as a practice. We've never, ever, in the history of the church, gone up to someone who is pregnant and say, I assume you're going to get an abortion. You know why? Because that's vile, it's against the very plans of God. It is life that is being perpetuated. That is not a political stance. That is a theological stance based on God's word and the practice of the church. One of the earliest written documents that was given within the church is a thing called the Didache. It's the teaching of the 12. The 12, when they taught, one of the things that they clarified in their teachings is that abortion is abhorrent. And is not acceptable. Life is supposed to be perpetuated in this institution of marriage so that we can be on mission with God to steward the creation that God has given us. Procreation is a part of that, and we embrace life. You can do it differently, but you take the fire out of the fireplace and you burn the house down. But it's your call. Somebody will say, inevitably, inevitably, Okay, if one of the reasons is procreation, what if we can't procreate? Well, marriage is also about recreation, recreating. Proverbs says it this way. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. That's good. Song of Solomon says it this way. If there are kids here, you might want to cover their ears. I'm just kidding. But listen to how Solomon says it. Talking about recreation within marriage. Awake, O North Wind, and come, O South Wind, blow upon my garden. Let its spices flow. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its choicest fruits. Percy, and it means what you think it means. It's recreation. It's recreation. And marriage is a place where that can happen in beautiful and profound ways. It's not about our happiness. It is about holiness and setting that sexuality within the fireplace where it can bring ambiance and an atmosphere and warmth and life to all who would experience it. So we recognize marriages with one man, one woman, and one God. We recognize that marriage is about our holiness. Also, marriage is not about a wife submitting. I, I hear this often like, this would be a great marriage if she would just submit. Careful, because you're taking a passage out of context and applying it in a way that it probably should not be applied. So, the greater context of this passage in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, is is about being filled with the Spirit. It's about being filled with the Spirit. Uh, Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 21, which is going to set the stage for the rest of the passage, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. A man submitting to a woman, a woman submitting to a man, and then Paul's going to show us what that looks like. How is that practically played out? We need to know, Paul, tell us, please. And he does. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Remembering that that Paul, in just a moment, is going to remind us that this mystery, is of, this mystery of marriage is of Christ and the church. That, that that is the beauty that is being symbolized in this marriage. And wives, just like the church, loves her Savior and cares for Him and walks with Him and follows Him. Do that. But that's not all. Men, how do you submit to one another? Well... Paul tells us, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. Uh, Jesus is willing to go to the cross for our sins collectively, right? What, what he doesn't do is go, I'll go to the cross if you just be nicer. Like If you wouldn't nag me all the time, church, I'll sacrifice for you. He doesn't do that. Because Jesus is love, Jesus, out of love, in love, goes to the cross, sacrificially giving himself for his bride, the church, sacrificially. In a way, it's transactional in that it it extends life to a group of people, but he's going to do it regardless the outcome. It is the will of the Father for him to sacrificially give. Men, it is the will of the Father for us to sacrificially give. I want to make a suggestion today, and that is this. A man who loves his wife as Christ loves the church and sacrificially loves her in a way that is submissive to the Lord and to his beautiful bride, he's not going to have a problem with a wife who loves the Lord and is willing to join him follow follow. Submit that. I could be proven wrong. We're at, uh, I think, year 26, and I haven't so far. So, what are we saying? We're saying that marriage is not about a wife submitting to a husband, but rather a man and a woman submitting to the Lord in reverence, and that playing out in practical ways of a man sacrificially loving his wife and a wife who is willing to follow her husband. And love him. And the fourth myth is marriage is for everyone. I always feel bad. Sometimes I'm I'm in these group settings with single people, and it's like it's like some people can't help themselves. So you got a boyfriend yet? You got a girlfriend yet? Hmm? Won't you just be happier when you're married? Marriage isn't for everyone. In fact, I want to suggest that all of us have had times in our lives where we shouldn't be married. Remember being five? Shouldn't have been married. <laughs> no reason. Uh, some people should never be married for a variety of reasons. Paul is going to identify those. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32, he says this, I want you to be free from anxiety. Anxieties. <laughs> I want to be free from anxieties. Tell me, Paul, please. He says this. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. So in other words, an unmarried person, they still take this holy sexuality approach. In this time where they are not married, their focus and attention is strictly and completely on God. Like my priority is God and serving him. Not That's where I get to focus, according to Paul. In verse 33, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. Now, I I want to say this, that you can please God and your spouse. That's not mutually exclusive always. But the matter of attention uh, can be divided. I want to take care of my wife. I want to make sure she's doing well. I want to care for her. I'm trying to understand where she's coming from on matters that maybe we have differing views on. Uh, We're we're talking. We're we're trying to understand one another, trying to love one another. Meantime, I I also want to honor God. And that's what Paul is talking about. There's this, this little bit of tension in the married person's life that doesn't exist for the person who's single And they've taken their singleness and they've embraced holy sexuality and said, during this season, I'm going to be celibate and focus my attention on Christ. And then he goes on in the rest of that passage. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. Uh, Again, he's saying it's true for men. It's true for women on this. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Uh, Paul is communicating that marriage isn't for everybody. I know some faith practices, marriage is even considered a sacrament, where uniquely you experience God, His grace and mercy Through the sacrament of marriage, some faith practices still practice that. I understand it. I get it. I appreciate it. I I would even embrace that to a certain degree. But I would also say that marriage is not, not the only way that we can experience God. In fact, there is something beautiful about being single that allows for an intimacy with God that we don't get in marriage according to Paul. So, where are we at? Well, some things have been laid down before us, and we have decisions to make. And today, we can choose to place holy sexuality in this fireplace that is biblical marriage, whereby a man and a woman are united in God. Whereby holiness is the focus. Whereby they sacrificially serve one another, whereby they recognize the unique place of marriage and that God wants to use this marriage in holy ways to make to conform them more and more into his image. Marriage is that. But you can make it something different. You can choose to change God's plan. And if you do, it's very likely that you'll burn the house down. I mentioned earlier that we need to acknowledge that God is at work around us, that we need to trust God and we need to obey God. Uh, I also recognize that it is likely, with very little exception, that everyone in this room has been burned By this issue of sexuality, I recognize that even as we discuss things today, there are people here who perhaps have had a divorce that was unbiblical. Perhaps some that have struggled with same sex attractions. That there are some who have taken this holy sexuality and engaged in pornography that there are some who have committed abortion, that there are some here that have put pressure on others to be married as if that was the highest goal in life. And there are others in this room who have demanded holiness from the other spouse while not engaging in holiness themselves. All of us could have been burned by this issue of holy sexuality and the fireplace that is biblical marriage. And embers, perhaps, have come out into the living room and stung us. And so from this point, you might be asking, how do I become holy when I have been so broken? And that's a fair question. Today's message is not about condemning, but about giving hope. Today's message is identifying that there is this loving holy God who gives us this beautiful biblical marriage that we can live in and experience holy sexuality in a way that not only cares for our spouse but also honors our God and also recognizing that many of us have been burned, that there is a God who loves us so much that allows us. Path back to holy sexuality. 1 John 1 9, it's a beautiful passage that reminds us if we confess with our mouths, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That's God's job, that's what He does. I confess my sin. Lord, I have missed this holy sexuality in these areas, wherever you're at. I've missed it. Forgive me, Lord. And with a heart of repentance, the Lord brings us back and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And he forgives us. And so, maybe you need to hear it. If you take just a moment in your own mind and And maybe you're addressing that that place where you've been burned. Hear this. If you have confessed that sin, he forgives you. God has forgiven you. Abortion, he forgives you. Premarital sex, he forgives you. Pornography, he forgives you. This isn't isn't a get-out-of-jail-free card. This is the work of God that is holy and good that we are embracing. And walking in. Friendship Church has a lot of programs for a lot of reasons. And we want to help people to live the life that Christ has called them into. We ourselves want to. And we admit we're we're not doing it perfectly. And there's adjustments that are happening. And there's repentance on our end. Like we recognize that. But also there are these uh, a variety of programs. I'll I'll give you one. Actually, I'm going to give you a few. Here's the first one. You may be thinking, well, uh, I don't know about this purpose. You had mentioned go make disciples of all nations. And that, that kind of scares me. Sharing my faith scares me. We have a program called Relational Evangelism. We'd love for you to come out, bring your family with you, and we'll help you to learn how to share your faith in a way uh, that is natural and is good and is God-honoring as you uh, join in purpose. Tomorrow is the next one. Please go online and check it out. You may be saying, ah, I'm so new. There's so much about God's word I don't know. We have a, a ministry called Core Discipleship. We would love for you to get engaged in that. Uh, we're getting ready to sign up for the next semester of Core Discipleship to help us better understand our faith and how we can live it out. You might be thinking, man, Kenny, I was hurt so bad. I have some addictions. Some hurts, habits, and hang-ups that I need to address. We have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that addresses those very things. Or maybe there is a matter of purity, sexual purity, that you've, you've been playing around outside of God's plan, and you've been burned, and you're burning others through the use of pornography. We have a ministry called Quest. Quest is not just about pornography. It's about Purity. Quest helps that. You can find out more online. Today, you maybe walked by uh, a table out there that has marriage mentors. Those marriage mentors act as coaches. You might be thinking, well, I want to sign up and let people know that we have issues in our marriage. I love you, but that's a dumb attitude. (laughs) It's dumb, right? Like It would be like an NBA basketball coach or a player going, I don't need a coach. I got this. I know how to take a jump shot. I know, how to, I know how to dribble the ball. I don't need a coach. Of course you need a coach. You always need a coach. Marriage mentors are coaches. They'll, they'll help you walk in godly ways. It's a beautiful thing. Hang in there. Consider it. Walk with it. See what God will do. I'm going to ask the worship team to come. I've thrown a lot at you this morning. I recognize that. God's word is good. Because our God is good. And he wants us to experience life. And so he's given us some boundaries to express holy sexuality. And those boundaries are within a biblical marriage. In that biblical marriage, we can experience God in some beautiful ways. And you may be in a place where you're, you're, you're feeling off, you're not calibrated to Christ. Let me suggest what that would look like to get back on track. I mentioned 1 John 1.9 earlier we confess our sins, he's faithful and just, forgive us of our sins. That's repentance. Repentance is walking in one direction, recognizing that that is wrong, and turning to the right direction. It is not switching sins. My wife made me mad, so I said bad things to her. Now, I'm just going to ignore her. That's not okay. That's not repentance. Repentance is that is wrong, and God is right, and I need cleansed by him. And I need to walk with him in sometimes very difficult places and spaces. And so we repent. Communion is a time for us to remember the work of Christ. Because that's what, we have all, that's what we all have in common. We need a Savior. And we're not him. Jesus died for our sins. He conquered sin and death. He rose from the grave. And anybody who calls on him in repentance will be saved. So we have stations throughout the room. We want to encourage you to uh, take some time. Repent as you need to and get both elements and then come back together and we'll participate together. Would you join me as we pray? Lord God, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. We recognize, Lord, our own our own struggles with this holy sexuality. And Lord, we we want to apologize to you because we have changed definitions. We've accepted matters and things that we shouldn't have accepted. We've embraced ideology that is different than your plan. And so, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us, that we could walk in you and with you, the one who is willing to give your life, that we could have life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.